intellect, strength for your spirit, balm for your heart. The Healing and Peace Show with Thomas Schmier, LMFT, where you get wise counsel based on sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and sound science. The Healing and Peace Show, your Catholic guide through the trials of life. Do you have a love-hate relationship with food? Are you looking for a way to apply Christian principles to help improve your relationship with food? Whether you binge only on occasion or have a full-blown eating disorder where you binge and or purge regularly, today's guest can help you. She not only has recovered from an eating disorder, she has inspired millions along the way. She's an author and speaker with a bachelor's in fine arts who has received certificates from the Nutritarian Educational Institute. Most importantly, she's endorsed by our most recent guest, New York Times bestseller and creator of the Nutritarian Diet, Dr. Joel Furman. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Emily Bowler. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you, it's a privilege to be here today. I feel honored to be a part of your show. Honored to have you. Yes. Well, we may as well get right into it. Mm-hmm. Holding up your book here by the, I don't know if it's out yet as we're recording it, but it will be by the time I put this out. I might put this out in a few months. And it's called Starved to Obesity. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about the title? What does that mean, Starved to Obesity? Yes, I, I always tell people I, I dieted since I was age six. And I was always starving myself, restricting. You know, my mother put me on very restrictive diets as a child. And, and growing up, I was always starving myself. The next diet, you know, the next whatever it was I was doing. And the lack of nutrients was creating in me just that desire to eat, 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 eat all the time. And now, because I'm fully nourished with lots of high-nutrient foods, that desire to just eat all the time has gone away because my body is finally filled with nutrients that it needs instead of, you know, being, I said, I was really malnourished, malnourished and, you know, was morbidly obese because of it. I first learned about you mentioning morbidly obese. I first learned about you when I saw a picture of how you used to look in the book Eat to Live, and that was over six years ago. And so to me, you're, you're a celebrity because you're in the book. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I say I'm a celebrity because I've done everything wrong in my whole life, <laughs> but I've learned from it. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's very humble. I, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Um, so you've been, and I did, I've been reading your writings uh, along the ways. I remember the old disease proof blog uh, that I don't, I don't really think is around anymore, but you were contributing to that and interviewing people and uh but the, i didn't know until i read your book about what was really going on underneath uh the the food addiction really can you tell us about that sure um when i was um in high school well i'll back up when i was i was chunky as a little preschooler and so you know i was put on a diet at age six and um, was given a, a, a goose egg if I 
gained weight and a plus sign if I lost weight and sent to school diet food. So I, I got in that dieting mentality, that focus on what my body looked like at a very young age, um, an aversion to scales. I didn't want to know what I weighed because this was as a six-year-old. I didn't want to know what the scales would weigh. And so I got caught up in that dieting mentality. And by the time I was in eighth grade, I was still really chunky, and I literally starved myself with just an orange for lunch every day at school, and I got just enough thin, just enough so I could fit into a pair of jeans by the time I was in high school, because prior to that, I couldn't fit into jeans, and there were a lot of, you know, name-calling. Children who are overweight are the brunt of the playground, uh, called names constantly, and on the bus, everywhere. If you have any kind of uh, physical, you know, appearance that's different, kids are really mean. Well, so high school, when I went to high school, I fit in for the first time in my life. I wasn't discriminated against. I fit into the activities. I fit into the fashion. I got to wear clothes that all the other girls wore. And so I fit right in. And then my senior year, I took it too far and I um, got very thin to the point that um, I was diagnosed with anorexia my senior year of high school. And, you know, one thing back in the late 70s when I was diagnosed with that, um, counseling wasn't something that was, at least in my hometown, it wasn't emphasized. And so my parents pretty much just brushed it under the rug. And I, then I went into binge eating in college, but I dieted. So I never was overweight during those years of, of college because I knew how to diet. So I would binge eat and diet and exercise. So I was able to keep the weight off by purging. I never threw up, but I, I purged by exercising a lot and dieting. And then when I got married and babies came along, I just started binge eating and binge eating and binge eating. And at that point, um, by having little babies, I couldn't just go off and go exercise the calories off. So I continued to gain weight till I was 100 pounds overweight. And by the age of 42, I pretty much landed, I had chest pain and I had a heart catheterization and I was diagnosed with heart disease and high blood pressure, pre-diabetes. And I knew in my early 40s that I was sitting on a ticking bomb. So that's basically my story until I discovered Dr. Furman. And with when I started following Eat to Live, um, it was basically less than a year and I had 100 pounds off. And um, I tell people prior to Finding Dr. Furman, I was probably eating 200 points a day. Points is what I'm. Uh, Dr. Furman refers to as the nutrient scoring of food, and I was probably eating 200 points a day. Today, I eat probably between three and five thousand nutrient points a day, and I don't calculate them. Yeah, I don't do that, but that's an average of how many, how much my body is nourished now. Big difference. Yes. So with the points, uh, people on this show don't know what that is. Uh, they don't necessarily know these things. Yeah. Yes. Dr. Furman, he has um, 
it's called the food scoring scoring guide. And basically every food in there has a point system. For instance, kale scores a thousand um, versus like a piece of white bread. It's real low, maybe it scores maybe a five. But different foods have different scores of values. It, it's their phytochemicals, their micronutrients, what their uh, what they have to nourish our body. And so, um, you know, that whole, that whole mentality as I was growing up, it was never about the nutrients. It was always about what you can't have. And when I started eating this way, for the first time in my life, I started focusing on all the foods I could have. And that's when I followed this little book. It's called. It, he had a book out called um, "Eat for Health," and he still has that. And it had a, a smaller version of the food scoring guide inside of that. And I remember every meal, I would look up the 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 chart and try to find the foods that had the most nutrients. And I was like always focused on getting nutrients in my body. And that I wasn't. I mean, obviously the weight came off, but because my focus was on eating instead of not eating and not having certain foods, I was so focused on, okay, there's, you know, a banana is good, lettuce, you know, tomatoes, and my plate would be really colorful. And being a visual artist that I am, I'm a painter, I love colors. So all of a sudden my plate went from you know, a plate full of cottage cheese and all the white things I, the diet foods, the diet pudding, the diet jello, the diet soda. It went from all the bland colors to all of a sudden I had blueberries and raspberries and kale and lettuce and just beautiful colors. And so, yeah, I say um, I'm just well nourished now. And the, the weight is secondary because when you are well-nourished, the, the pounds just start coming off. I remember reading something that you wrote that, I, th I think it was you, that you had gone to a, a party of some sort. I, I don't know, maybe it was uh, you know Thanksgiving dinner. I just don't know what it was. And they, people thought you had this big salad that you were going to start serving out to everyone. And, and that was your salad. Yes, yes, and that's another thing. I, you know, all my life I was restricting my portions. Everything is about portion control. I was in programs where you weighed every and measured every morsel of food that you put in your body. For the first time in my life, I didn't have to weigh and measure and and have everything portion controlled. I mean, my salad. See this this bowl here? That's that's a normal size of salad for me now. Mm -hmm. And you can eat a lot of salad, yes. And yeah. people think, oh my goodness, is that enough for five people? It's like, no, this is one salad. But for the first time in your life, you get to be full. Yeah, I remember um, someone, you know, saw me on getting started with this diet. And I'm eating a tomato like an apple. And he thought that was sure. really funny. And he told his dad about it. Look at him. Uh, that's yes. it. We can eat a whole tomato by ourselves. It's okay. It's yeah. not but isn't it funny? You you have a Snickers candy bar out, and people think that's fine. But you have an apple, or I mean, a tomato. That looks odd. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, now, underneath, you know, when we see someone who's morbidly obese, and 
I think, yeah, it's easy to judge them. You're wearing your your flaws on your sleeve. Like everyone knows, we all get to have, those of us who are not morbidly obese, we get to hide our sins and hide our pathologies. But when you're morbidly obese, it's out there for everyone. But I, I think we need to learn to ourselves have humility and see that that person's hurting. And so I think when you were at weighed your most, uh, some you were going through something with your son. Can you tell us about that? Yes, my um, at that um, point, my son, my middle child, he when he was 11 years old, he was diagnosed with type one diabetes. Uh, for those who don't know what type one diabetes is, usually kids um, get it when they're um, in childhood. It's called juvenile diabetes too. It's where the body no longer produces insulin at all. Um, it's an autoimmune disease where the beta cells are attacked and they don't produce insulin. So at 11, um, he was diagnosed. Then by the time he was about 14 or 15, uh, when he would eat like donuts or M&Ms or anything that was not um, healthy for him as far as the sugar goes, and then he, if he did not give enough insulin for it, he would get a medical delirium and actually symptoms of psychosis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, four days after I started eating this way, we were on a family vacation up on Lake Michigan. And unbeknownst to me, he was in the back of the van on the way up there. He had um, eaten a one pound bag of M&Ms all by himself without any insulin coverage. And so by the time we were at Lake Michigan, his mind just was gone. And, and uh, he ended up in a hospital in, in our hometown of Fort Wayne. And then he got worse at that point and then had to go to Cincinnati, which is three hours away. But um, that was four days after I started eating this way. And I had a lot of challenges because we were just in, we went from crisis to crisis to crisis then. He would be in and out of hospitals, um, especially in, during his teen years. Everywhere he went, you know, youth groups at church, everywhere, they served pizza and candy and, you know, cookies. And it was just really hard for him to um, stick with the foods he needed to eat to be stable. And he did good most of the time, but the few times that he, he went on a junk food binge, he, you know, we all paid dearly for it and especially himself and how did that ultimately turn out for him yes when he was 21 um he ended up dying by suicide and um right before the funeral i was looking through his car and i found all the receipts and packages from all the fast food restaurants that are nearby our house and all the empty wrappers and in his trash in his trash can were empty sacks of um honey roasted uh peanut butter and or yeah cookies you know really cheap cereal and big liters of soda mm -hmm. and he went on a major junk food binge and and he would go into it it was called metabolic encephalopathy it was the big long name for it but he, where he wouldn't be in his right mind, and he ended up taking his life then. Life, okay. Yes. At least so. my condolences to you and Thank to you. your husband, for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Is there, have you had to deal with shame, kind of blaming yourself for this? And with how, if so, how did that play into the food addiction? Um, not so much. We had a good counselor during this time, and that was the one thing he stressed is like, um, we did the best we could as parents, you know, but the one thing that happened, though, after he died, um, you know, I did okay for the first, really the first year I was in shock after he died. And, and I mean, I had symptoms of post-traumatic stress and I went into a deep depression. But that second year, I went into a very deep depression. It just, um, I didn't have the desire to go to the grocery store. I would cry randomly, have these meltdowns. I wasn't like that normally. But I learned later, it's a part of the deep grieving when you lose a child like that. And um, so anyhow, I started, I didn't go back to eating pizza and the things that um, are unhealthy for the body, but I started eating, gravitating towards oatmeal and peanut butter and whole wheat um, tortillas with peanut butter on. I started eating things that were no longer high nutrient foods. And I lost my taste for salads. And I started gaining weight as a result. So it's not just the, the junk food we eat, it's the low nutrient foods that cause us to gain the weight because it kicks in that addiction again. And I started binge eating on you know low nutrient foods. Um, I, I would make ice cream out of bananas and put cocoa powder in it, have chocolate ice cream. And I would just eat a whole container of that as a meal, you know, and I didn't care. But I learned later that, um, you know, it's a part of the grieving process. You become apathetic, unfortunately, when you're severely depressed. I can understand that. Yeah, so. I think a lot of people limit, eat, eat probably stuff that's normally good for you, like what you said, uh, you know, ice cream, not truly ice cream, but a frozen banana blended. Sure. And they're, they're just eating the wrong proportions of things. And so they're eating a healthier diet, but not the healthiest diet. Sure. Right now I'm, I'm doing pretty well, uh, but I'm, I'm eating too many beans. And it sounds silly to people who aren't accustomed to this diet. Like, oh, he's sure. eating too many beans, that's really bad. But yeah. it's, mm -hmm. it's not number one on the list. Sure. Um, I probably have an extra five pounds, maybe 10, I don't, I don't know, uh, just because of the beans. Mm -hmm. and so I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for me to kind of uh, change, change my ways? Yes, I think a game changer, Dr. Furman has that, um, uh, the equation, health equals nutrients over calories. Mm -hmm. I think instead of, you know, you, you want to focus on the greens, the greens and the vegetables first, fill up on those first, have some beans. What I would do, I always tell people who are having a hard time, it's okay to measure if you're having a hard time overeating on a particular food, it's okay to set boundaries with that food. So, you know, perhaps stick to just a cup of beans at lunchtime and a cup of beans at the dinner time, so that you, your body gets accustomed to the smaller amounts. Mm -hmm. And it's not a forever thing, maybe, you know, a week or two to where your stomach understands, okay, 
that's a good size of beans for my body. And mm -hmm. psychologically, you could eat probably five cups. I don't know how many you're eating right now, but your body doesn't need that many. So, you know, um, I, I always tell people when they're starting off, um, it's a good idea, especially if you're overeating on a particular food, just to sort of get a little bit of boundary. It's not, it's not something you have to be real strict with, but, you know, and fill up on the, the, the greens and the vegetables and the fruits, the, the berries, you know, the G-bombs, get those in first. Then if you still need more beans, okay, let's wait until dinner to have more beans, you know, and right. see if you can hold off. Yeah. Sometimes it's just more in the mind you need those beans. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. There's there's an anxiety. Uh, it's like, hmm, what if if I don't eat these beans, then I, I might not be get that full feeling. And if I don't get the full feeling, then, you know, I'm going to brush my teeth and all that. And then I don't want to go back and eat more later. And it'll, you know, like, it's just some weird anxiety. Whereas, you know, I'm going to bed in a few hours. I don't need all the calories. It's, I'm going to be just fine. Sure. So just limit it. Yes. And it's good. Yeah. Yes, I would limit it. And make sure you're getting your nuts at each, your nuts and seeds yeah. at each meal. Because that helps you too, to. But yeah, sometimes it's just in our minds, you know, we've been accustomed to a habit. There was one point in one of the crisis situations I was in with Daniel, our son, um, I was just putting cocoa powder on everything, my oatmeal and my ice cream, everything that was sort of a sweet, not on lettuce, but I was putting cocoa powder, I mean, pure cocoa powder, but I was getting a, a hit of some sort from the, the cocoa in there and Dr. Furman told me stop stop immediately do not have any cocoa powder for two weeks mm -hmm. sometimes it only takes about two weeks to break something that's it's not a terrible habit but if you continue doing it it's going to end up to be not so good so sometimes you need to just stop okay for two weeks I'm gonna you know just limit my beans here just for two weeks and see if, if that doesn't tame it back down a little bit. But that's what I did with the cocoa powder. I've never been addicted to chocolate since. I don't like cocoa powder. Mm -hmm. I never went back to it after that. What are some biblical principles or biblical quotes or something like that that can help me and help others in this kind of, kind of trying to think about what we're putting into our bodies? I think, you know, um, uh, you know, this is, I, I, I joke about this, but it's, um, you know, there's no verse in the Bible that says thou shalt not eat donuts, you know, but um, there also, there's a, the reference I'm going to have to give to you later, but it talks there, um, Paul talks about, you know, all things are beneficial. No, all things are, um, all things you can, you can have all things, but not everything's beneficial. And I think, you know, we've, we've got to get into our minds that, sure, I can have a variety of foods. I can have donuts. I can have pastries. But is it the most beneficial for me? And also in Corinthians 10, 13, um, no temptation has overtaken us, but that is common to man. That he provides, Jesus has made a way of escape for every temptation. And I think we're not in the habit of fleeing temptation, you know, and I think 
there's always, if you look, every time you have a temptation, there's always a way out of that temptation if we look for it. Now, if we don't look for it, you know, we can go in, but, you know, the, the power of God within us, the, you know, with Jesus in us, we have power over the flesh. And that's a crucial point to this whole thing. The flesh is powerful. We cannot fight the flesh our own. It's, we don't have the willpower to fight the flesh. We don't, we don't have the psychology to fight the flesh. It's only the power of God that has power over the flesh. And so, you know, those times, I have an example. This summer, I was um, in Philadelphia. I was in a, a training in a hotel, and I was really hungry at night, about nine o'clock at night. The hotel food just was really sparse, and I was really hungry. And I remember in the elevator, going down, I was in the elevator by myself, and I just cried out. I, I wanted to go to a vending machine and get cliff, a cliff bar. They're not super bad, but they're not super good for you. And um, I just said, Jesus, this is harder than me. Help me. Because my flesh wanted that cliff bar so bad. And but in the fitness room, there were some apples and oranges, a big bowl of them. And the Lord just empowered me. I got off that elevator and I went to that fitness room and got a couple apples and an orange. And I tell you what, that satisfied me. I didn't even care for the cliff bars. But in that moment, I cried out for help. And I think a lot of times as Christians, we don't cry out for help in the midst of temptation. We think, oh, well, I can just have it. But if we stop at that moment and cry out for help, the Lord always strengthens us to, to overcome and to flee that temptation. That makes sense. I think I could pray for myself a lot more. I, I feel more comfortable praying for everyone else. Sure. Just what you did is, yeah. is great. And help yeah. me. Help me. Help me. I'm the one that needs help right now. And he he helps us in that in that moment. And there's always, I tell everybody, there's always a way of escape. It wouldn't be in the Bible if there wasn't. But we're promised there's always a way of escape. But we we have to look for that way of escape. And um in the in the heat of the battle, there's an escape hatch. You know, um, our flesh doesn't need to win. <laughs> like it, it's making me think of uh, the the Israelites, uh, or I guess you should say Jews, uh, fleeing Egypt, and you know, in, in the parting of the Red Sea. You know, like absolutely, if, if part the Red Sea. He's going to yes. help find a way to escape yes. our religion too. If we right, and I am convinced. I mean. I've done this now 11 years. I've interviewed people all over the United States, really all over the world, in Australia, all England. I am convinced, nobody can, to, can tell me otherwise, that food either has the power to destroy our bodies or it has the power to give life to our bodies. And I just, with all my heart, believe that God has created these fruits and vegetables for our benefit. And, you know, it's there for us to enjoy and to, you know, restore our health by eating well. I want to talk about some things that aren't in your book, but that sure. just are on my mind. And since, sure. you know, from Christian to Christian. Mm -hmm. So I know you are, you have, you're pro-life. We're both pro-life. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And 
you know, from cradle to the grave, or actually from the from conception to the grave, right? Would you? Yes, you, I I agree with that totally. Yes. And so, what about I? I think what about our own life? You know, what about our own health? And we can either really, I mean, we can end up with diabetes, uh, type two diabetes. We can end up with some kind of cardiovascular disease. We can end up with life, just a stroke, something that debilitates us so that other people have to take care of us, which to me seems a little rude and selfish. If, if we're just saying, ah, oh, who cares? Whatever will happen will happen. I think there's a morality here that people aren't talking about. And, yes. And I know this isn't in your book or anything like that. I'm putting you on the spot here with something yes. fresh. But I, I want to know your thoughts about this. It's funny you bring this up because about five years ago, I thought the same thing. I thought, and I'm very pro-life from conception on, but I thought, okay, we have babies. And then when they're toddlers, we're feeding them sugar cereal and causing them, I mean, children now are having prediabetes. Children, teenagers are having strokes. Young adults are having heart attacks. We're causing premature death in their 20s, 30s, 40s. So, you know, in one, in one side of the coin, we're fighting for their life until birth. And then on the other side of the coin, we're dropping the ball and we don't really care about their life. Not that we don't care, we still care about human life, but it seems like we're not getting it as far as we're encouraging premature death by the foods that we're really stressing. And I think churches, I'm sorry for getting off on this tangent, but you know, I just got back from a marriage retreat this weekend and it was a wonderful retreat, but the food was just, very heart disease promoting, very diabetic promoting everything. Young couples there, you know, with little toddlers who, you know, had a weekend away, away from their children and are just eating that food and it's causing all kinds of, you know, health issues. So I'm pro-life all the way till death. You know, I, I'm really, I know that's radical, but I'm pro-life until death. I mean, a death at age 90, 95, 100, not, you know, a premature death. And, you know, by having a son who died prematurely, um, it's, it's really a sad, you know, kids are dying. And I don't think, I don't think in America we're understanding there's a lot more kids dying in their 20s now right. than we've ever seen before. So, I, I believe the church has a responsibility to step up to the plate and be pro-life. Even, you know, let's let's provide the foods that encourage us to live and not encourage a, a premature death. I agree. I think people think it's kind to give children candy or ice cream. I see an old, I, I watched some old, TV shows uh, from Desilu Studios. <laughs> um, one in mind comes to mind, like Family Affair is one. <laughs> it's kind of cute little show. But, uh, you know, it's always a big thing to take the kids in these shows for ice cream. And, and it's like they're having a down day. And, and but, hey, let's go get some ice cream, you know? It's just kind of like the loving parental thing to do, for example. And, uh, 
I just think people are confused. I see it and I, in my heart, I feel so sad because now I know that this is setting up a whole culture of us really killing ourselves. Exactly. And I think we need to re recondition our brains here what treats are. It's not a treat to have your, your chest cut open with bypass surgery. It's not a treat for kids to be injecting themselves with insulin. It's not a treat to have cavities to where your teeth rot out. That's not, and I think we need to, you know, reframe um, what treats are. Treats are feeling good, you know. Treats are having a healthy body and feeling good to be able to play. So, you know, I think that's, the, tr the whole treat thing, I grew up with treats, and I think that has become, we can still give rewards, but maybe not food related, you know, mm -hmm. maybe uh, there's other ways to, to give treats. Yeah, do you have more to say about that, about the reward, food as a reward? Yes, I think, um, number one, I think that's the, the, one of the roots of our whole epidemic here in, in the United States. We have taken food out of its context. You know, food is created by God to fuel our bodies, period. You know, we need fuel. This is energy. This, this gives us healing properties to restore our cells, to keep going. And as a culture, we have turned food into everything but nourishment. And I just think we've got to get back to food is nourishment. And don't even go there that it's a treat because it's not. I mean, it obviously it's very pleasurable. Even healthy food is very pleasurable to eat. But when we're using it as the reward system all over McDonald's, Happy Meals, you know, everywhere. Um, and I think it's it's systematic as a culture. We're all going to need to change. Just like, you know, 30 years ago, people were smoking cigarettes everywhere. And it was even 50 years ago, physicians were smoking cigarettes and it took a long time. But now there's not as many people smoking cigarettes because the entire culture got educated on the dangers of tobacco and smoking. And I think it's going to take the, the culture getting educated to, to where it's something across you know, the schools are supporting it. The churches are supporting it. Homes are supporting it. So, you know, we don't have access to all this food for children, all these treats. And, you know, it's got to start. I remember years ago we were at a church where if you said a Bible verse correctly, you got a pack of lifesavers because Jesus is our lifesaver. Mm. <laughs> you know, and that was the reward for saying Bible verses. And so I think we've got to get this reward. Food is to fuel our bodies. And we got to find other ways to give rewards to children and to ourselves. I appreciate that. I've never heard it put that way before. Thank you. You're welcome. The, I see the art behind you. And can you tell yeah. us about that art? And I mean, you have a bachelor's in fine arts and art as related to your addiction and recovery. Yes. I, I Actually, I have been an artist since I can, I say I, I grew up with a paintbrush in my hand more than a pencil. <laughs> I grew up painting wall murals and then I ended up going to college studying art. I, you know, I paint everything from, this is actually, I'll tell you about this. I didn't mean to tell you about my art. Um, 
that's called intercession. That's prayers. I um, There was a season I went through where I'd turn on worship music and just paint the the music, what, what was stirring inside my heart. So I have a whole bunch of paintings, but that's called intercession. And this is called pots and flowers. And, and I love to just paint flat, anything that has life, flowers. I've always been that way. Well, um, when I, and it's always been my goal, my lifetime goal to produce significant works of art in my lifetime. And in 2006, I was over in Italy, a, a local college took a group of people over to study the art renaissance. And we saw all in all the cathedrals, we, we saw everything over there. And when I was um, looking at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, it just hit me that I would never think of smearing mud on the Sistine Chapel. I just could never do that. But here I was smearing mud every day on my body, which is a significant work of art that God created. But I was just smearing mud every day on it by the foods I was putting in it. So I felt really congruent, incongruent as an artist. Like here I want to make beautiful works of art but I'm destroying the work of art that God created. And so it wasn't until I decided in 2008 that I would use food as my artistic medium. It would be the paint, my body would be the canvas, and I would basically redo the canvas that I had messed up. So yeah, it was full of mud. And you know, within one year, I got it back to where it was supposed to be. You know, I didn't have blood pressure issues anymore. I didn't have diabetic issues anymore. I didn't have heart disease. You know, I, from the inside out, I restored my body. So that's where I'm passionate now as an artist, especially as an artist. Um, we're, we're naturally experimenters. We like to see whether it's a potter experimenting, experimenting with different glazes or uh, a sculpture sculptor experimenting with different kinds of metals. We like to experiment. And so as an artist, it's like, well, I wonder what food can do to my body. And so it was fun. That's how I used it as an art exhibit. And that's, it's an online art exhibit called Transformation. <laughs> and that's- Where is that? Where is that located? It's at my website, um, emilybowler.com. And there's a little menu thing at the side. and. A transformation is the art exhibit. Basically what I did is, is I documented my changing images from month to month as my body was changing. I documented what was happening on the inside of my body too by my blood pressure, my blood work. And so it was fun and then I journaled on there too. So it was fun to see how my body changed that year and, and how food really does have the power to make art, you know? And I know that there's a connection between pro-life and your arts. Can you share that with us? Sure. Um, we have a large pro-life um, group here in Fort Wayne, um, my hometown. And for years, I participated in their fundraiser every year as an artist. I painted um, you know, furniture, I donate um, a jewelry box painted, or they had some auctions. And then one year for the whole state of Indiana, there was a print I made um, of Jesus holding a baby and Jesus is crying and he's comforting that baby. And it ended up being a, a really a pro-life 
um, drawing. And the whole state of Indiana then used that as a fundraiser. I forget now what they sold it for, but it was basically a donation to the pro-life, you know, um, uh, in the whole state. Every, every town had their own fundraiser. And so thousands, I, I forget how many uh, I donated, but I just kept printing them off. <laughs> so I want to get back to your book. Uh, sure. Kind of like a little last mention of your book, Starved to Obesity, from Emily Bowler. You can see how to spell her name here. It's B-O-L-L-E-R. And she has a website, emilybowler.com, where you can see about her art, see about her book. Right, I don't know what, a, what you'll have up there when this releases, but as we record, there's a, some, a PDF I think they can download. Is that right, right now? Yes, it's... Um... There's one, it's basically the seven commonalities of those who escape food addiction. So yeah. that's, yeah, they can get that. Very helpful. Yes. And is there, I don't know, I know you have some recipes. Can you talk about maybe one, one recipe that you make on a regular basis? Yes. Um, I think... Um, one of the staples here, you talk about beans, but one of the staples I like is I cook, I actually, oh, can I show my pants real quick? These are the pants I wore the day I started this. Oh, 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 this, <laughs> so, is, oh. this is like, ah, but anyhow, yeah, they fit me too, you know. Um, what I like to do is I put, I usually cook two packages of these. These are one pound bags of uh, garbanzo beans. I put two of them and I, in a big crock pot and then I fill them up with just enough water to cover them about two inches and I cook them either um, on low all day, eight hours, or on high for four hours. And I love to just put garlic and lemon, you know, drain the water out and put it in a food processor and make hummus. And I put spices in there, lemon. I, I don't put uh, fat in it at all. I just do lemon and spices and garlic. And um, I then spread those on collard leaves with some onion, with some um, tomatoes. I spread it on uh, cabbage leaves. I roll them up. And I love those for a meal. They're just very filling. And some people think, oh, I can't do this. But that's really, for me, a fast food. I can eat it on the go. You know, I don't have to sit down. I can roll those up like a burrito and eat those. Those are really a nice. Yeah, I like that. The, like you mentioned, fast food. There's there's so many good foods. We're, there's no shortage. There's gourmet foods we can make if we want. There's fast foods. There's quick foods. Just whatever you want. This diet is so versatile. Oh. Something, this is real quick too, this is a trick for those, my husband who loves these, uh, I, I do too, you just take a bag of frozen cherries and a bag of frozen pineapple, put them in a Vitamix or any high-speed blender, and you have the best sorbet, just two bags, you know, and that makes, in the summer especially, that makes a nice, you know, after-dinner little dessert. Yeah, sounds great. Sounds yes. Great. Well, Emily, we ran out of time. I just want to thank you again sure. for uh, 
spending time with us today. Thank you so much. Yes, my pleasure. God bless your audience and you. <laughs> thank you. God bless you too. Yes, thank you. You've been listening to The Healing and Peace Show. I'm licensed marriage and family therapist, Thomas Schmier. And you can find out more about my services, which include worldwide services for life coaching, Catholic family, uh, and life coaching. And, you know, I'm inspired by Dr. Furman. So if you want to uh, do some work that's surrounding a food addiction or even anorexia or something like that, uh, I can do that through therapy. And my therapy services are available in about six states, uh, California being one of them. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to my website, healingandpeace.com. And if you want to keep informed of future show guests and topics, you can subscribe to my blog at healingandpeace.com slash blog. And then you can also find all of my social media handles at healingpeace.com or healingandpeace.com slash blog. Thank you for watching today. And until next time, may God bless you with healing and peace.